Uh, welcome to the chat show where we talk about employment, empathy, and innovation. Employment is the focus area and empathy and innovation is really um, uh, influencing or creating jobs for everyone, everyone inclusive of uh, neurodivergent talent, people with disabilities, and everyone, the people, um, you know, and veterans, disabled veterans. Um, and in this show, we always talk to the thought leaders from the staffing industry, from the disability community and autism community. And today, my guest is a very special guest. Um, so we in, in, in the autism community, there is a there is a famous quote. If you have met one individual with autism, you have met one individual with autism. Today, my guest is a person who gave us this amazing quote, which truly reflects what autism is. Uh, let me welcome Dr. Steve Shore. Well, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you and to talk about how we can make fulfilling and productive employment for autistic people the rule rather than the exception. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Shore. Just a quick uh, uh, introduction to uh, Stephen is, is, is uh, an autistic professor for special education at Adelphi University. He, was, um, he has written books spoken in more than 47 countries across uh, six continents. Currently, he serves on the board of Autism Speaks and is one of the first two autistic board members uh, in, its, uh, in its history. Um, looking to improve the potential of those on the autism spectrum. He once uh, headed the Asperger's uh, Association of New England and was on the board of Autism Society of America. Again, Steve, welcome. And thank you for joining today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Great. So, um, Steve, just let's start with this. If you can tell us something about your wonderful journey as a professor, as an educator, uh, being on the, on the spectrum. Yeah, certainly. Well, I guess we'll take it at the beginning. Uh, things were pretty typical for me at first. And then at 18 months, like what happens to about 30% of us on the spectrum, I was struck with the regressive autism bomb. And like with those 30%, I lost functional communication. I had meltdowns. I withdrew from the environment. And in brief, I became a very autistic little kid. There was so little known about autism in those days. So little that it took my parents a year to find a place for diagnosis. And when they did, the doctor said, well, we've never seen such a sick child. And I guess just the best thing to say is that I was very fortunate that my parents refuted the professional's recommendations for institutionalization, and they advocated on my behalf, just as we're seeing ever-increasing numbers of parents in India and throughout the world uh, advocating for their children. And they convinced the school to take me in about a year. And it was during that year my parents implemented what we would today refer to as an intensive home-based early intervention program. And that's just today's terminology, because in those days, the concept of early intervention didn't exist. So what did my parents do? What was their breakthrough? Well, first, they tried to get me to imitate them. 
Imitation is a time-honored educational strategy. We see it used in schools. We use it, see it used in employment as well. How many times has a supervisor said, this is how you do it, watch me. Okay, now you do it. That's very common. But for us autistic people, especially when young, perhaps due to a difference in mirror neurons, that imitation piece is not there. So my parents flipped it around and then they imitated me. Once they did that, I became aware of them in my environment. Mm -hmm. And then they were able to move me along. I believe the key educational and employment implications are that in order to do solid work with an autistic individual, you have to develop a trusting relationship first. You have to meet the person where they are. And I think that holds true for everybody else as well. And as I look at your word empathy there, that's part of empathy, meeting the person where they are, feeling where they are, joining them, and then moving on to a new place. And thusly, with the work my parents did, speech began to return at age four. Mm. I entered the school that initially rejected me. I got reevaluated. Instead of being considered a psychotic and ready for an institution, I got upgraded to neurotic. So things were moving up in the world. Often we hear about the highly focused interests autistic people have. And my first one was at age four. I was found by my parents taking apart a watch with a sharp knife. I would pop open the back, extract the motor, remove the gears, spin them around, put it all back together again. The watch still worked and there weren't any pieces left over. So as I think about this, two questions, well, multiple questions. Number one, how could I have such fine motor control to take apart a watch? But where did that go when it came to penmanship? One of the worst things I could experience in school was to walk into a room with a paragraph on the board because that suggested we were going to have to copy it down. And by mm -hmm. the end of the period, everybody had gone to recess and I had only gone through a few words. Well, now we know a lot more. Uh, about supporting people who have difficulty with the physical act of writing. So back to my parents. They noticed this, and soon they provided all kinds of other devices to take apart and to put together again. They supported my interests. They were focused on my abilities, my strengths. And I bring this up even at such a young age. What are you doing talking about a four-year-old when we're talking about employment, which occurs in the teens and beyond. Because what my parents did, probably unknowingly, is that they set the stage for successful employment later on. Mm -hmm. And by bringing all kinds of devices to take apart and put together, they were recognizing the strength, they were encouraging it, and maybe sometime in the future, I could work as some sort of mechanic, taking apart watches or something else, as it ended up, my trajectory went somewhere else, but, in, but it could have gone there and I could have been very happy. And that's why it's important to be aware of the strengths, to empathize with the abilities, the strengths and the preferences of autistic people. Because an important characteristic of autism that's often ignored is the widely varying skill set. And what that translates to is that the things we're good at, we're incredibly good at. The things we're not so good at, yeah, we need a lot of support. And we 
and sure, we should provide that support in schools, at home, through therapeutic sessions. That's all well and good. We need to do that. However, we also need to be super aware and empathetic to the strengths and mm -hmm. abilities. I don't know anybody who has built a career out of remediated weaknesses. Yeah. And Absolutely. similarly, every autistic person I know who is successful has found a way to parlay their highly focused interest, strength, ability to some sort of work situation where many have become regional, national, or international experts on a particular subject. Yeah. So, so in our world of work, um, see when we always say, let's focus on the candidates, job seekers strength, and let's create the environment and help them manage their weakness. Because we all have our own weaknesses. It's just, we, we are able to manage that. And in some cases we have to help each other to manage those weaknesses. So that's a wonderful um, thing. Now, you know, you, you mentioned briefly you, your trajectory change somewhere else. Tell us uh, what do you do and how you are helping students uh, at um, Adelphi University and your current uh, profession? All right, so I've been to, uh, uh, at Adelphi University, I believe I'm, I'm in my 13th year. And I focus my energies in four major areas. Uh, the first, is teaching and researching on aspects related to the autism spectrum. At our university, I developed with my colleagues a 12-credit um, um, uh, autism certificate where we intensely inten and intensively study autism. These courses are available online. You get, uh, uh, they get graduate credits. Uh, we have cohorts, we're developing cohorts around the world, including in India, where yes. we have a collection of interested people uh, who want to take these courses. And for as long as the pandemic is there, we're doing it all online. Yeah. And I look forward to perhaps a more hybrid model when it becomes safe to travel. Uh, researching on aspects of autism, and in particular, focused on empowering autistic individuals to meaningfully engage in all aspects of research. So being a research geek and a professor, well, that's where I'm focused on. And what I like to focus on is how can we get the autistic person engaged in all aspects of research in a meaningful manner. Uh, when I'm not uh, teaching or researching, I'm writing books on autism, books and articles related to autism. Also, I would say pre-pandemic, and as you mentioned, I do a lot of traveling. Before the pandemic struck, I was traveling to a different country about once a month. And the, I talked about autism in 51 countries to that point last March. Uh, if we count the uh, Zoom presentations, online presentations, maybe we could get it up into the mid-60s, I'm not sure. And uh, when I'm not traveling or presenting on autism, uh, I'm giving music lessons to autistic children. So that's pretty much what I do. And uh, you're on mute, uh, so. Sorry. I, I was I was making uh, sorry I was making the list on the page and it was going growing all 
but thank you for doing such amazing work um, in, in this area. And I apologize, we made a note of 47 countries, so it's a lot more, I'm pretty sure now during pandemic with the virtual, you are reaching out to hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of families um, and helping them um, you know, with, with the motivation, with the right tools, with research driven uh, articles and educating. So thank you for all the great work you do. Um, to continue our conversation, uh, oh, by the way, uh, talking about India, um, I, I remember I met you in person in 2019, uh, Autism India Conference, and I thoroughly enjoyed your, your, your discussion on various points, but what I really appreciated your sense of humor. That's <laughs> what I, I remember that you have some amazing uh, sense of humor. So uh, moving to the next uh, topic, I uh, would like, and you touched a little bit on this, uh, the role that parents and uh, entire support ecosystem around the individuals um, a play with, you know, in, in the development of uh, development into the uh, independent adults. So please share your thoughts, thoughts on how this whole community is playing really important role as, you know, the per person on the spectrum as they uh, transition into adulthood. Oh, yes, I, I certainly can. Uh, the parents play a key role. Parents are the experts on their children. Parents spend more time with their children than anybody else. So in that way, it behooves all of us to make sure that we meaningfully engage parents in learning more about the autistic person we're supporting and what has worked for the parents, what challenges do they face? And then from there, with uh, interaction and collaboration uh, with school personnel, uh, educators, social workers, occupational therapists, and people in allied fields. Uh, we all need to do what we can to provide support to tear down the barriers uh, to success that autistic people can experience. And one way to think about it is in grade school, uh, the student who has difficulty paying attention, keeping organized, staying on task, uh, we provide them with a paraprofessional or an aide to help keep them on task. Mm -hmm. Later on, when that person, should they become a uh, CEO of a company, they're still disorganized, need help in keeping on task. Well, we don't call that person a paraprofessional anymore. We call that person an administrative assistant. Yeah. So in that way, we need to continue to provide support for autistic individuals, others who are neurodiverse, and basically everybody else, so that we can spend more time doing the things that we're good at and making positive contributions to organizations that we happen to be working for and to society in general. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. And, and education, as you mentioned, is a very critical part of that process. Uh, and we all know that as, as part of the special needs uh, education, that's your expertise. So I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts about, um, you know, and, and our advice to educators? Um, what are the common challenges and how can they overcome those challenges as they are working with uh, uh, children on the autism spectrum or adults um, on the spectrum? 
Well, I believe the first thing you need to do is get to know that person as an individual. Now, certainly as an autistic person, I share with all other autistic persons differences. I don't want to say disabilities or disorders, but differences. Differences, differences in communication, social interaction, sensory perception, in various other areas, intensities of interests, for example. And you may note that I'm talking about differences, not disabilities. So what we need to do is we need to turn away from thinking of autism as a collection of disabilities, disorders, and deficits to a collection of abilities mm -hmm. and ask the question, what can the autistic person do? And I believe that starts with one, getting to know the individual, and then two, making sure that person has a reliable means of communication. That's the mm -hmm. most important thing we can do. So some of us on the spectrum, we can talk very well just as I'm talking to you. There are mm -hmm. others who communicate through other means, through assistive communication devices. And I know many autistic people who have been given up on as too severe, too this, too something else, whatever it is, and e either by design or often by mistake, Mm -hmm. It may be found, for example, typing into, onto a computer keyboard words that nobody expected that this person knew. And as a result, we have many individuals who don't speak. Sometimes we refer to them as nonverbal. But I think it's better to refer to these individuals as being non-speaking. Because nonverbal, there's a lot more that goes into communication than just speaking as we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of understanding of language. To refer to someone as nonverbal means they don't understand language. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, as I think of Paul Kotler, who is an autistic individual, who is pretty significantly affected, he has difficulty in moving his body, he doesn't speak, but you get him on a computer keyboard and you'll find that he's just as perceptive and as smart as the rest of us. Sometimes it takes him a little longer to communicate because he has difficulty controlling his muscles, but he certainly is right along with everybody else. So communication is really key. And then focusing on abilities and teaching through those abilities, using what I call, or many people now call strength-based approaches. Yeah. And that is learning through the strength. So here's an example. Mm -hmm. Let us suppose we have an autistic child who's not motivated to do math. Maybe mm -hmm. they're not good at it. They've had bad experiences, whatever it is. They just don't want to do it. So commonly what will happen is we'll do an interest inventory. What is the child interested in? What are their strengths? What are their preferences? All right, so now we're learning more about the child. Uh, however, the empathy piece goes a little bit off the rails. When a decision is made, we're now going to take uh, that favorite activity. Let's say it's using a flight simulator on a computer. We're going to take that away. However, you can earn back the right to use the flight simulator by doing what you're supposed to do in math. And what has happened is that you've made a, the flight simulator an extrinsic reinforcer. Mm -hmm. The activity has nothing to do with what you're doing. Yeah. However, it will be, you'll be much more successful 
if we find a way to use the flight simulator to teach mathematics. There's a lot of math involved in flying airplanes. And now mathematics, where it's something that was to be avoided so from the child's point of view, now becomes interesting and it becomes intrinsically reinforcing. That is so beautiful. That is so beautiful. So I heard two things. One is know them better and start yeah. that process and identify those strengths and those, and then build a strength-based teaching model. So instead of taking away that strength and in trade-off of other things, leverage that strength and deliver what you want to, or what we want to deliver as part of the training. So beautiful. And second thing which I learned that about the communication, create that communication channel so that person can express in a different ways. It's a different than, you know, uh, speaking is different than the verbal. So that is that is amazing. And I really appreciate this is something brand new. I, I understood and learned and I'm pretty sure the uh, all the audience who is attending this will be learning. Uh, um, so talking about now we've been talking like what you are doing as a self advocacy that has uh, there is a there is this huge uh, this need in the society, but as you know and we all know that the, you know uh, uh, there are there are limitations. Not everyone is out there or as willing and ready to go out and share. So please share your thoughts about self advocacy uh, when it comes to students with autism and and the importance of that and and most importantly how how that should be approached because that's what i'm hearing from some of the autistic individuals that that's that's their challenge well nish you're absolutely right about the importance of self-advocacy and the way i see it is that self-advocacy is something that most people do automatically you don't even think about it it just mm -hmm. kind of happens you ask to meet your needs and you're done with it but for the autistic person uh, a protocol can be very helpful. And I use a three-step protocol in which to teach effective self-advocacy skills. And this protocol is built on a foundation of self-knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that self-knowledge answers the question, what does autism mean to me? What does it mean to me to be autistic? What are some of my strengths, challenges, and other characteristics? Well, one thing that autism means to me in the sensory realm is that I have difficulty with recessed lighting fixtures. Fixtures that are hanging from the ceiling, for example, or they're embedded in the ceiling and they shine down. Often you can see a light bulb. And being under one of those is like looking into a spotlight for most other people. Mm -hmm. So becoming aware of my challenges, that's the foundation. And now that I'm aware of that, I can scan the environment. That's the first step, scanning the environment for challenges. Mm. So here's my supervisor showing me my new office. It's an open office and it looks perfectly fine. However, I notice that it's lit with fluorescent light mm -hmm. or I should say recessed lighting fixtures. And I know the recessed lighting fixtures and I don't get along. So that's mm -hmm. the first step, scanning the environment. The second step is advocacy. 
and advocating in a way that the other person can understand and provide support. So what I might say to the supervisor is, well, just a little parenthetical aside here, this hat that I'm wearing, many of you may think that this hat's a fashion statement, and in many ways it is. However, it's an accommodation for those very recessed lighting fixtures that I was talking about before. Here is the accommodation. So primarily it's an accommodation, but also, of course, it's always good to support my university, Adelphi University, whenever possible. So it's a little bit of promotion for them as well. Yes. <laughs> so back to my example with the supervisor, I turn to my supervisor and I say, gee, I noticed that nobody's wearing a hat in the office, but I wonder if it's okay if I wear my hat. Just one sentence, simple, easy to understand, something that the supervisor can choose to support. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I can wear my hat. And that's it. And he doesn't even have to provide the, the hat. I've got the hat on my own. And we're done. Yeah. And then I have to go to the third step, which is giving the reason why. If I'm asking for an accommodation, a greater mutual understanding, more empathy, I have to say why. And therein is the disclosure. That's the third step, disclosure. And what I would say to my supervisor is, you know, for me, these lights are very bright. They hurt my eyes. They give me a headache. I must have sensitive eyes. And you'll note that I didn't say anything about autism. What I engaged in was a partial disclosure. I focused specifically on the aspect of autism that's causing the challenge. And that's enough for now, because to mention the full diagnosis would probably be distracting at this point. So then people often ask, how do I know when I need to advocate for myself? And with the advocacy, the disclosure of some form, either full or partial. So the protocol I use is that if the effect of being autistic uh, creates significant challenges in a situation or a relationship, then it's time to build an advocacy plan. So if it's affecting the situation, essentially we've got to figure it out. So amazing. So what I have understood, your three-step process is scan, ask, and disclose. Yes. And I'm going to talk about this anytime when we talk about autism at workplace and when we talk about our job-seeking candidates. I'm going to adopt this advice and take this advice. and Oh, and use it this. and wear it out. Yes. So cool. Scan, ask, and disclose. That yes. is so powerful. So yeah, thank you specifically, for specifically, the second one is advocate. Scan, yes. advocate. Advocate, okay. And disclose. Beautiful. Scan, advocate, and disclose. Okay. So we have a few minutes left. I wish we could have continued this conversation. I'm learning a lot as as, as every time. And, and I have heard you online or offline. Uh, I've been, it has been a great uh, learning experience for me. But before we conclude, let's uh, talk about this, 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 I would say, positive trend, or I would like to know your thoughts that every challenge bring, brings about the, the best in us. Like I feel the current the challenges we are uh, going through, 
um, has brought about a shift in this attitude towards uh, people with autism, employment for people on the spectrum and other disabilities. What are your views and how do you see the future? Well, I see the future uh, with greater inclusion of people who are autistic or neurodiverse and people with differences in general. As people begin to develop empathy for people with differences and also realize that we're all more alike than different. We're all part of the same human race. If you take a look at our genomes, we'll find that 99 point, with many, many nines, of them are all the same. So why get tied up on that point, many, many zeros, 1% that may be difference, different. And with the differences that we have, with the abilities that we find across the human spectrum, mm -hmm. let's all find ways to use our strengths in which to support society and make the world a better place for everyone. Stephen, that was just amazing, amazing message. And thank you for sharing wisdom, your knowledge, and uh, uh, all the great work you do. So we truly appreciate your time that you came and joined this uh, conversation. I would love to continue this conversation uh, as we make uh, progress in this whole journey of, of change in the society, change in the workplace. Um, and build really inclusive uh, society all together, including the workplaces. Um, so thank you again. Uh, and thank you, Melinda, for doing an amazing job in, in delivering the message for uh, people with other uh, disabilities. Um, again, Stephen, thank you so much again for joining and wishing you all the best. Oh, my honor. And I look forward to future collaboration with you and others in promoting success for autistic individuals. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us today. We will continue our conversation on employment, empathy, and innovation, same time, same place. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.